ball is high. It is far. It is gone to win the game. The Mets are on their way back. World champions for the 27th time. Home plate for all things Major League Baseball. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast on WFUV Sports. Another episode of the Nosebleeds Podcast. Jackson Heil, Mike Calamari here with you, Mike. The World Series finally over. We do have a world champion, and for the first time since 1988, the Dodgers are on top of the baseball world. It feels like an eternity since that has been the case, especially with every opportunity that they've had over the last few years, 2017, 2018, even the days go on and on in terms of how many chances they've had. But before we get into that, I need to acknowledge the fact that I'm doing another podcast with the Calamari. It's been a long time since that's been the case, but Mike, a pleasure to be with you. How's everything? Yeah, everything's good. I mean, it's great to be here. I know you and my brother have gone at it in the past (laughs) with, uh, big-time baseball arguments, usually analytics and, and that stuff. But, yeah, it's good to be here, and I'm just glad to start talking some World Series. Yeah, shout-out, Chris, for those days. I mean, I miss him for sure, but it's great to be back with the Calamari, and I'm sure we're going to get into it today. And let's get right into it now that we have addressed everything in the room. So the Dodgers are World Series champions. Game six was a wild one. There's no other real way to put it. Um, because this was a game that, even though it was one nothing into the sixth inning, it felt like it was five or six nothing, given the type of control that Tampa Bay had over this game. I mean, Blake Snell was dealing. He had nine strikeouts through five and a third, had only allowed two hits, and the Rays' only run came from an Rosarena solo shot, who was terrific all postseason long. But it felt like they were up more than that because they kept putting runners on base. They had so many chances, but. They just couldn't break through. And for me, it it felt like throughout this game, the Dodgers were going to find a way to win because Tampa couldn't put them away. Tampa just had many opportunities with runners on base, with two outs, where the Dodgers just kept finding a way to escape. And it was going to be one moment that was going to determine this game and swing it in the Dodgers' favor. And it comes when the third time Mookie Betts comes to the plate Kevin Cash goes out and gets Blake Snell, and he goes to Nick Anderson. And this is obviously going to be the popular topic to break down because, listen, Blake Snell, if I was him, I probably would have pulled the Mike Messina on the mound. He had every right to argue to say in that game he was dealing. No one had really touched him. And the pitch to Barnes that he singled into center on was just one bad pitch, and he'd only made about one or two the entire night. I will say this about what Kevin Cash did. I thought he had a right to pull Snell in that spot. I'm not saying it's necessarily the right or wrong decision, but he had a right to pull Snell given his history. Third time through the order, it's a 9-13 OPS against him this year. He really hasn't pitched deep into ball games, And even with how good he's been, history dictates that no matter how good you're pitching, for the most part, the numbers suggest that third time through the order with Snell – it was going to get ugly at some point. With that said, going to Nick Anderson was the wrong move here for a variety of reasons. One, the fact that he'd given up runs in his previous six outings. That's that's a red flag in itself. 
The other fact is that he clearly does not did not have the same stuff since the regular season. If Kevin Cash was going to go to the bullpen in that spot, and I'm not saying he should have, but if he was going to go to the bullpen in that spot, it needed to be Diego Castillo or it needed to be Peter Fairbanks. It's those two guys or you have to stick with Snell. That's where I come at with this because the numbers suggest that there is a route to go to the bullpen here if he wanted to, but it couldn't have been Nick Anderson. And that's, that's my biggest problem with cash. That's the biggest mistake I think that he made. Mike, I know you're going to disagree with me on this, but yeah, I, mean, I, I do think that Kevin Cash, that was his biggest mistake. Not taking Snell out, but opting to go to Nick Anderson. I mean, Nick Anderson, no doubt, was probably one of the best relievers throughout the whole season. But we just saw a different Nick Anderson when he got to the playoffs, especially in the World Series. Um, for me, it just comes down to why would you pull a starter who's been that dominant? I mean, that was his second hit all night. And you think about it, if you go to that bats of Betts, Seeger, and Muncie already, that, I mean, they were 0 for 6, 6 strikeouts. So I just don't see how you go, uh, oh, let's pull, let's, uh, let's play, I don't know, let's go to Anderson or even Castillo. I don't, I don't understand that move because I would just say let's stick with Snell because even if Betts makes the adjustment or Seeger or – they uh or Turner makes an adjustment there I just don't see how it's all right now now let's say Snell doesn't make an adjustment to combat that I just I don't get that move especially when you have like 70 pitches 76 pitches whatever he had going into that I don't see how you make the move to pull him if there was a situation I, I'm a numbers guy first and foremost I will I'm the first to admit that I will say this if there was a situation in any baseball game where a starter had a right to stay in, in that situation, it was Blake Snell. Because like you said, he was dealing. We're in the sixth inning. No one's even touched him really throughout the first five and a third innings pitch. However, we have seen in the past where Blake Snell has been dealing. I mean, we saw it in game one, first and foremost. He wasn't dealing like he was in game six. I'm mm -hmm. sorry, it was game two. But – Snell was throwing a no-hitter through four innings. Yes, he was getting deep into counts and walking guys. But the fifth inning comes around, and that's where things started to get ugly for him. And it wasn't entirely ugly, but that's where he gave up one or two runs. And in a game of inches like this where it's a one nothing game in a must-have situation, this is how the Rays did it all year. The, the Rays formula all year was to get what they can out of the starter and go to that elite bullpen that they have and go to Fairbanks, go to Anderson, go to Castillo. That was their formula during the regular season, and that's a big part of why they won 40 games. I think Kevin Cash is a good manager. I think he made a big mistake going to Nick Anderson in this spot. And I'm not even saying that Fairbanks or Castillo were a better option than Blake Snow. I think the main point I'm trying to make here is that if he was going to go to the bullpen, those were the two guys it had to be for me. Because those are the guys have, who have been dominant throughout the regular season, throughout the postseason. Nick Anderson's been terrible in the postseason. And that's largely not his fault because I think he's been completely overworked. It reminds me of Brandon Morrow back in 2017 with Dave Roberts when he was – he pitched in like 11 straight games, it yeah, felt like. Crazy. And finally he just ran out of gas in game five uh, when he gave up home runs to Springer and Correa and all that stuff. But 
I'm not sure what I would have done in that situation. I, I think that Snell, he probably had a right to face Betts. And if Betts gets on, then you pull the trigger. But at the same time, if you're Kevin Cash and you're waiting, you're essentially waiting for the fire, that, that's when you run into trouble. And that's when you start playing. I mean, my biggest thing would be that if you go Anderson, even if you go Castillo and you get through that inning, you got to piece together the seventh, eighth. I mean, you got to piece together three more innings to get through the rest of that game. And I just think that's much harder to do in a run, a one run ball game where there's like less of a leeway where, all right, we can have a reliever come here and not get the job done. Like you have to rely on three guys coming in and doing their job. And I feel like when Blake Snell's been that dominant, I mean, why don't we see if we can get him through this top half of the order? And then you can send him through a third time if he gets through guys like Betts and Seager. I mean, that's my biggest counter argument. And then you've got to worry about a game seven if you're the Rays. You're playing for not only game six, but game seven too. And if you burn your top relievers in this game six, you're, you're relying on more than a do basically what Snell did or better. That's fair. And, but I will counter that last part by saying you got to get there first. Um, especially mm-hmm. in a one-run game, it's all hands on deck. And honestly, I in Game Six, I would have I would have had Morton available too if you really needed him. I'm, I'm not saying that they needed to go that route, but in a one-run game, if you don't trust guys like Fairbanks and Castillo, which he clearly does, but if you needed an arm out of the bullpen, Morton to me should have been available. Um, in terms of what you're saying about needing to piece together the last three innings. There was little room for error, especially in a one-run game when you bring in Castillo in that situation where you're figuring out how the heck you get here. I tweeted out in like the third or fourth inning that if I was Kevin Cash, if I was in his shoes, it would have been Snell, Castillo, Fairbanks, and you don't even look to use anyone else in this game because you're coming off a day off. You know that even if you use these guys for – 30 pitches today, you're probably going to have them tomorrow, given it's going to be the last game of the season. And honestly, on top of this, there might not even have been a game seven that day. They would have had off days, given that Justin Turner tested positive for COVID-19 and was removed from the middle of the game. Who knows when that game seven would have been. So logically, I I completely understand what you're saying, but Peter Fairbanks has been a guy who's gone two innings and had a lot of success during the regular season. Castillo's a guy who can go more than one inning itself. I'm more in Kevin Cash's shoes and saying that if you wanted to yank Snell there, you had a right to, given what the numbers were saying. And that's probably not fair to Blake Snell because that was one of the better pitching performances I've seen all postseason. I mean, he was getting ahead in counts. It seemed like he was 0-2 pretty much every single count, and that's impossible to do um, against those Dodgers hitters. But he found a way, and Listen, that, that move was literally the reason that the Dodgers end up winning the World Series. And well, let's talk about the Dodgers for a minute because they deserve a lot of credit for what they did. I mean, people, it seems like, forget what happened in the NLCS, but this was a team that was down 3-1 in Game 5, down 2-1 in Game 5. If Will Smith doesn't hit that Game 5 home run, who knows what we're talking about right now. But the monkey is finally off the back of the Los Angeles Dodgers and specifically off of Clayton Kershaw, who has been felt with this cloud of darkness being his postseason performances. And whether that's fair or not, that's up for debate. That depends on who you talk to. I don't think it's entirely fair um, given how he's been treated because he's pitched in some big spots in the postseason. But 
Clayton Kershaw is finally a World Series champion, and I couldn't be happier about it. Like, I really Yeah, couldn't. I mean, I'm, I'm one of the biggest Kershaw fans, and I remember back in the Astros World Series, and even when you go to the Nationals, NLCS, I was like a big defender of Kershaw and saying that, oh, big spot postseason, I'm still taking him over a lot of these guys like Tanaka who have been great in postseason, just off the pitcher he is. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to defend him in the NLCS when he is hanging breaking balls to Soto and he uh, is losing games that way. But he was terrific in this postseason, and he pitched two dominant games in the World Series. I mean, you go back to the um, 2017 World Series, and he pitched great in game one, but just couldn't replicate it in game five. And you can talk about the, um, the sign stealing and how they um, went back on the tapes. And I think no Astros swung and missed on curveballs against Kershaw mm -hmm. in that game five. But nevertheless, he proved it in this World Series. And it makes you think that, all right, is this postseason track record like going to be great? No, but it's enough to, to look at him as an all-time pitcher. Oh, I think even before this, um, no matter what happened in the World Series, my, my opinion and legacy for Kershaw doesn't really change much. I, I think Kershaw, if you look at what he's done in his career, he's clearly the pitcher of our generation. There's no doubt about that. I mean, there was a stretch from 2013 to 2017 where he pitched to a 1.9 ERA. You, you just don't see that. That's Bob Gibson type stuff. Um, and, and to – to be put in the same sentence as Bob Gibson means you're pretty damn good. Clayton Kershaw, yes, he's had the postseason hiccups, and I think he he's not he wasn't deserving of a complete hall pass before this, but at the same time, so much of the criticism is really unjustified. If we're being completely honest here, yes, he's had bad outings in the postseason and he's had bad moments, but a lot of that I feel like we take out of context for the most part. I mean, even just look, I'm, I remember, I want to say it was 2013 when he's pitching a gem against the Cardinals in the NLDS. And in the sixth inning, he lets two guys on in a two nothing game and Matt Adams hits a home run off his curveball. Maybe the first home run he's, he, I think it was the first home run he'd given off a curveball to a lefty in his entire career. You go back to 2017, like you mentioned game five where the Astros are stealing signs again. Like, he hadn't been bad in the postseason. He had just been bad for Clayton Kershaw for his standards. And the fact that the Dodgers hadn't won a World Series just piled on top of the pressure that he needed one. And what do you do this World Series? Game one, he's terrific. Game two, he probably should have went longer. He only faced 21 batters. But um, I mean, that's the analytics. That's the, yeah. the, the history would say pull Kershaw. Like he said. But it worked. And, and it worked in this spot for sure for the Dodgers. And the bullpen was able to piece together a gem. And so I'm just really happy for Clayton Kershaw. I'm happy for Dave Roberts too, because I, I think similar to Kershaw, not in the fact that Dave Roberts is an all-time great manager, like Kershaw's an all-time great pitcher. We just haven't seen enough of Dave Roberts in that regard. But I think Dave Roberts gets a bad rap for a few minor bad decisions that he made. Um, I thought he had a really bad one in this series too. In game four, when he went to Pedro Baez, not only to face Brandon Lau at the home run, but after the Dodgers got the lead back to go to him again, the next inning when he gives up a game tying home run to Kevin Kiermaier. I, I didn't think, I didn't think that was a good decision by any means, but again, you look at games five and six, he made the right decision taking Kershaw out. And the way he used his bullpen in game six, I thought was absolutely tremendous. Um, 
given Gonsolin's struggles, letting him pitch until Rosarana came the second time around. He puts Floro in, who pitched arguably the best at bat I've seen in this entire postseason, throwing three beauty, beautiful changeups to Rosarana, who had no chance on either three, and then going to Wood, and then just emptying out the tank with Julio Urias to end the game. So I'm happy for Dave Roberts because he's made some bad decisions in his past, but I think overall he's a good manager also. But there's just so many storylines you could point to in this World Series. I mean, Mookie Betts was terrific and made some big plays. Corey Seager seemed like he was on base every time he was up. It was a. It's it just really cool to see the Dodgers win the World Series, Mike, it, to, to me, because – this is a team that has had it a long time coming. And the fact that you get to see guys like Justin Turner win the World Series, who we're going to talk about in a second, to see Clayton Kershaw, like we mentioned, Dave Roberts, Kike Hernandez, who has seemingly been there in every big spot, Jock Peterson. So many of these guys have been so close so many times. And, and honestly, this is what sports is all about, to see a World Series won in this fashion by a team who's been knocking on the door for so long. And, I don't think it could have happened to a better team, Mike. I really can't. Yeah, I mean, really, really happy for the Dodgers. I mean, I wasn't even a Dodgers fan, but it got to the point where I was like, all right, they got to win at some point. Or, yeah. like, I just won't be able to take it anymore. And I just – it's happy that, like, it happened this year. I mean, weird year, funky year, but a World Series is a World Series at the end of the day. And, I'm, and it's also happy that it happened during Kershaw at the end of his prime probably. We don't know what type of Kershaw we're going to get next year or maybe the year after. So at least they got a World Series while he's still there. But this is a team that's going to be a back there next year for years to come. Yeah, and for Kershaw, just quickly before we go into the Justin Turner argument here. Excuse me. The fastball velocity isn't there for sure. I mean, it's 91 around there. But the slider still looks really sharp. The curveball is the curveball. I mean, that's going to be pretty much untouchable throughout his career. That's all he needs, really to still be successful in this league. And I'm excited to see what the rest of his 30s bring. Um, I I think there's definitely possibly another World Series in there, considering the fact that the Dodgers only get better next year, bringing back David Mm -hmm. Price from the COVID reserve list. I mean, think of that rotation right now. You got Walker Bueller, Clayton Kershaw, Tony Gonsolin, who was bad in the World Series, but had a great rookie year. And you had David Price in that rotation. Look out. Look out, because it's, it's going to be really tough to beat that team again. And even though repeating stuff, I expect the Dodgers to probably get back to the World Series next year, assuming all goes well in terms of injuries. Now let's talk about Justin Turner. Gets pulled from the game in the latter stages because we find out after the game that he had received a positive COVID-19 test. He comes out on the field afterwards, essentially breaking all protocol that he was supposed to be under and is seen taking a picture with the team as Dave Roberts essentially tells him to take his mask off. He's sitting there maskless next to him. Man, I'm almost speechless watching it because I'm just like, what the hell is going on? Like this has to be either a false positive or do the Dodgers even know? that he tested positive, like what a bizarre way 
to end the World Series. And, Mike, I feel like this type of stuff only happens in baseball, <laughs> where, like, you have the Dodgers who are breaking a – I don't even know what the year drought was, but they had one since 1988. Everything's supposed to be positive about what's going on. And then you go on Twitter, you see all the negative reactions to this, and rightfully so, probably, given what we know about this virus and what how dangerous it is and what it can do to people what do you make of what happened with justin turner because i'm curious to hear other perspectives on it i'm going to give my my thoughts on it momentarily but what did you make of what happened with justin turner i mean i've got a couple feelings about it i mean for one he played a lot of the game already so i I understand the feeling like our he already played there but as soon as you get a positive covid test result i mean what's how can he even be around other people i'm I'm almost not even sure if his teammates knew he had a tested positive because they were like hugging him and i feel like if they had known that they would not have been doing that i think the biggest thing is that the fact that he got sent out there with an inconclusive test result and that was what they said that the test came back inconclusive so i guess they assumed nothing of it i don't know why you don't get him a rapid test or something to say all right let's double check this and let's not send him out there because then you get the positive test in the seventh inning i mean it's just, uh, I feel like it's just baseball. It, it sums up the whole year and how they've handled this. And uh, the, I mean, the worst part is that you go back up on the field and you don't even have a mask on and yeah. you have tested positive. I mean, that's the, probably the worst part about it all. And I don't know if it was just him going back out there. I mean, who allowed this to happen? I think there's a lot of stuff you, you can talk about with this. There's certainly a lot of people you can blame in this situation. And the, the crazy part to me is that like, you look at Dave Roberts. He's 48 years old. And Dave Roberts is sitting right next to him as they're taking the team picture. And no Justin mask. Turner takes his mask off. And Dave Roberts is, like, trying to hug him, um, which was, like, completely bizarre to me. But here's my thing. If the Dodgers knew about it, if the Dodgers knew Turner and tested positive, which they had to have known. I mean, Turner had mm-hmm. to get a reason to be removed from the game. Like, someone had to come up and tell Dave Roberts, like, hey, we got to get Turner out. He tested positive for coronavirus or whatever it was. He had to know. Like, if anyone's going to know, it's Dave Roberts, for sure. Like, the players might have been, like, questioning what the hell was going on, but Dave Roberts definitely knew. And he's the one that's sitting right next to him with no mask on himself. As Turner walks onto the field, takes his mask off, he's got to know. So something tells me that, like, the Dodgers were willing to take the risk here and were willing to just accept whatever happened with Turner going forward, which isn't responsible per se, but at the same time, if you understand the risks of COVID-19, which I think the players do, and they're in that age demographic where, hey, like, it's not too risky for us. Yes, there may be certain scenarios where some bad stuff happens, and we've seen it for major league players. I mean, look at Eduardo Rodriguez, for example, who had to miss the entire season Mm -hmm. because of a heart condition related to COVID-19. If the Dodgers were allowing this to happen, then I guess there's really not a whole lot to say in terms of Listen, they just won a World Series. I don't blame them entirely for allowing Justin Turner to come back on the field and and do this with his teammates because Justin Turner is one of those guys who, what, he's 36 years old. He's going to be a free agent. Justin Turner has been arguably the most important Dodger other than Clayton Kershaw over the last five to ten years. He deserves this moment. He deserves to have this moment with everyone else. And, yes, it it sucks that he ends up getting this, and it it really – stinks that he wasn't able to finish out that game but 
if the Dodgers are willing to take the risk at this point, then that's on them. And it's not a responsible decision, but it's hard for me to say there's really a right or wrong answer for what the Dodgers did because it's, it's such a weird time in 2020. It, this virus is so different for so many different people. And for a lot of people, it, it's just like a common cold, essentially. Um, for others, it's a lot worse. So it, it's not – I'm not going to say it's the right decision what they did because given what we've seen about it, um, it clearly wasn't. But I don't think it's something that I really want to make a huge deal about because I understand in the moment the adrenaline that's going through those guys. And people don't use their heads when stuff like this happens. When you win a World Series – no one's really using their brain thinking about what's going to happen. The only thought is where can I touch this trophy and where can I get this champagne? And Justin Turner had to be thinking the same thing. And yeah, he's probably going to get suspended. He's probably going to get fined, but it was probably worth it for him all in the end. And, and no other Dodgers have tested positive by the way, since then. So that is a good sign in itself. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to go seven innings and you have a lead and you're like two wins, uh, two innings away from a world series and you got to be pulled for, those reasons I think the most interesting yeah. part is that Justin Turner tweeted after the game how oh I wish I could be celebrating with my teammates right now but I have to quarantine yeah. and then literally like 10 minutes later he's on the field so he's I don't know what transpired there. in those 10 minutes but that's probably the most peculiar part but it's a tough situation so it's hard to say whether well where who's in the right and who's in the wrong exactly and, and that, that's my real point on is that like like it, it's different for everyone like you are if you're willing to accept the risks of what's going to happen then yeah, that's all, that's all you. Um, the only thing I'll say that's really negative about it is it just sets a bad precedent going forward. Um, mm-hmm. And it's Definitely. just a bad look. Like, I wouldn't want to be the Dodgers or Major League Baseball right now because I wouldn't have to deal with this. And Rob Manfred, who's – I don't know how to describe how he sounded on the <laughs> uh, when he was delivering the MVP to Corey Seager – it sounded like he was drunk a little bit. And I, I was almost to the point where I was getting nervous for him because I was like, is he having a stroke right now? It was like, oh, man, that was a totally bizarre situation. But the Dodgers are world champions. Let's talk about the race before we wrap this up because I feel like they definitely deserve some sort of discussion. What a ride they had. I mean, if, if they win the World Series, this is one of the craziest stories I've seen in baseball in a long time, given that. They beat the Yankees in five in what was a crazy series. And Mike Brasso getting the game-winning home run off of this Chapman in the eighth inning. That was one of the crazier storylines of the postseason in itself. Chapman giving up another game-winning home run to end a series. But they go up 3-0 against the Astros, somehow blow that lead to force a game seven, and somehow have the mental fortitude to come back and win that game seven. And then in the World Series – just a crazy series in itself. I mean, they're one out away in game four from going down three, one in this series, essentially being over. And Brett Phillips has the at bat of the century, to be honest, against Kenley Jansen, where he finds a way to put a cutter into right center. Taylor botches it. Will Smith can't handle the throw from Mookie at home. And somehow we have a two, two series. It, the Rays felt like the 2014 Royals for me, where there was just, so much going in their direction where it's it was almost a miracle to me that they didn't win. But to me, at the same time, you look at what happened with the 2014 Royals, they came back the next year and won the World Series. And I'm not saying the Rays are going to win the World Series next year, but I think this team is going to be a contender for a long time. 
Randy Rosarena, I think, proved that he's obviously one of the best players in the game, even though he hasn't done it for a long time. I've never seen any hitter do what Randy Rosarena did in the postseason. I mean, that dude hits everything. You can't throw him fastballs. He hits breaking balls in the zone, out of the zone. I mean, the home run he hit off Gonsolin in game six was ridiculous. A slider off the outer part of the plate, and he hits a 380 to right field. Like, where do you see that? Um, So he's going to be a star for a long time, I think. They have the pitching. I like Kevin Cash, even though he made a bad decision in game six. Mike, I I don't think the Rays are going anywhere. I I think this is a team that has a very good chance to win the AL East next year yet again. Um, I I think they're only going to add to that talent-wise in terms of what's coming up in their prospect pool, specifically Wander Franco, I think going to be a guy who's going to make an impact sooner rather than later. This Rays team was a lot of fun to watch and they're going to be a lot of fun to watch going forward as well. Yeah. This Rays team, I mean, they've definitely got the pitching. They've got probably one of the better staffs in the league and bullpens too to match that. Um, If you go anywhere with this Rays team to improve, it would probably be somewhere with the bats. I mean, there's a lot of times where they just got timely hits and it was, even if you look at the World Series batting average, I mean, this is a team that hit under 250 for the World Series. And uh, if, you, if you improve anywhere with this team, it would be to get a couple more bats to back up guys like Randy or Rosarena and get guys on base for him to knock in. Because, I mean, it's too, too often where it's like this race team is like, all right, one guy is going to show up and be the guy that's making the difference in that game. And it feels like they need three or four guys like a team like the Dodgers or the Astros to be able to get hits more often in bigger spots. Crazy to me, too, because I feel like what this team was also missing, and you would never think about this with a race team, I thought they were missing a starting pitcher, personally. Um, because Snell and Glasnow were terrific. There's no doubt about that. But Glasnow, to me, was a problem for them in this World Series because he is a two-pitch pitcher right now. I mean, he's a fastball, curveball guy, and they're both pitchers are terrific, but when he can't command it like he couldn't in games one and five, things unraveled for him pretty early, and they had to go to the bullpen sooner than they would have wanted. I mean, Glassman threw 112 pitches and didn't even make it out of the fifth inning in game one. And then he somehow got through five in game five when he was a disaster um, mm-hmm. early in that game and was basically just praying that he could get through. Blake Snell was great, obviously. Charlie Morton was good, but – I thought this team needed one more starting pitcher personally, because I like Ryan Yarbrough and there's a reason that teams don't hit him hard. I mean, he's the opponents have the worst exit velocity off him in the entire majors, but the way they used him in this postseason out of the bullpen in game one, not really as a bulk guy in any of these series, I thought that the Rays were missing one starting pitcher. And to me, look out for Brent Honeywell next year because that's a kid who I've been a huge fan of in the minors. He's got like five or six different pitches. He's got a screwball that he can throw. The Rays, I think, need one more starter going next year. And I don't think it's going to come from outside the organization given their philosophy on signing guys. But whether it's Honeywell or someone else in this organization, they need a one more quality starter for me to get through because the bullpen at the end of this postseason – was completely taxed, especially their big guys in Fairbanks, Castillo, and Anderson. Nick Anderson was dead, essentially, by the time they got to the World Series, and he gave up runs in set of his last seven outings of the postseason. I mean, that tells you everything you need to know about him because I think he's arguably the best reliever in baseball right now. 
and that's what happened to him. So I think they need one more starter. I do think that they needed to add a bats because their last three guys or four guys in the lineup were essentially black holes, especially in the World Series. But like I said, I, I think this Rays team is going to be around for a long time, and they have a they're well run. They got a good manager. There's nothing to suggest that the Rays are going anywhere. And I mean, like, really long-term, too. Like, I think this Rays team is going to be good for the next 10 years with the way they do things in the front office and how good of a manager they have in Kevin Cash. So I'm a Rays believer. Mike, it's been a pleasure. I had a great time talking with the Calamari again. It's been a long yeah, time since I've been be able to do a podcast. And, um, yeah, baseball's over, and that – that stinks. That's the worst part about all this. We don't get baseball for another, I want to say it's like 110 days until pitchers and catchers report, which stinks, especially in the fact that we have no real other sports to watch other than football and soccer right now. But Mike, been a pleasure. Like I mentioned, we'll be back next week for our free agency episode. We got some good free agents coming out. Trevor Bauer, George Springer, Marcus Simeon, Lots of guys hitting the open market, and we're going to talk all about what this open market can look like. But once again, from Mike Calamari, I'm Jackson Isle. This has been Nosebleeds.